as we can gather and in a limited way, we're going to continue to be faithful in what we have been doing. We're continuing through the Word of God and continuing through our series in the Psalms. And so if you have your Bibles, if you'd open up Psalm 89 for me. Uh, so quickly, I will recap last week. And um, last week we dealt with the covenant itself. So Psalm 89 is, is a psalm of the descendants of Ethan the Ezraite who in the midst of trial and tribulation within Israel are reminding God himself of his covenant, praising the God of the covenant in verses one through four, praising him for this covenant, and then going into the details of that God of the covenant, who he is, his faithfulness, his steadfast love, his might, his dominion, his rule, his authority, his righteousness, his justice in verses five through 14. And then last week we finished with the people of the covenant. Blessed are the people of the covenant who know the festival sound, who shout, who walk in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day. So we, last week we covered praising God for the covenant itself, that God would make an agreement with his people, but also praising God, the God of the covenant, that he uh, would be praised for who he is and then the people who are blessed because they are connected to him. And so where this psalm ended last week is where we will begin this week. Verse 18, for our shield, speaking of the king, the little s shield belongs to the Lord, the capital S shield. Our king, lowercase k, belongs to the real king, the holy one of Israel, uppercase k. And so that's what we're going to deal with this transition into speaking about the king. And so traditionally, this is Palm Sunday and providentially in God's plan. He knew we would be here. He knew we'd we'd be talking about Jesus, the king this morning. And uh, I honestly forgot it was Palm Sunday with all the other craziness. But in Palm Sunday, where Jesus rides on the foal and and comes into Jerusalem on the back of, of a donkey and the people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. They are celebrating the true king of Israel. And this morning we will celebrate the true king of Israel. The promises that were given to David fulfilled in Christ. And so again, we're going to do what we did last week. We're going to look at the historic view of the covenant. So specifically this week, God's promise to the nation of Israel through the kingly line of David. This favored royal bloodline that is promised to David that he would have a descendant on the throne forever. And that uniqueness of that relationship that is like no other king on earth, no other family on earth. But we're also going to see this is not just read in the immediate. To Israel, they had a short-sighted view because all they saw was what was right in front of them. And in God's limited revelation to them, they saw the line of David and they saw their identity in the kingship. But when Israel began to crumble and Jerusalem was taken over, Then they started to doubt God's promises and wonder if God's promises to the king would continue. But we know there's an ultimate fulfillment. And we know that the the covenants made with the patriarchs, made with Abraham, made with Moses, made with David, they find their fulfillment in Christ. So we're also going to spend time in the redemptive view of the covenant. And that's actually going to be most of our time this morning. So the historic view deals with David, but the redemptive view deals with David's offspring. Most of Israel at that time thought the offspring would have been Solomon because that was the greatest stretch, the greatest wealth, and the greatest wisdom that Israel had up until that point. 
But we know there's an offspring who would come who would be greater. And this unique relationship between God and David was not, could not be fulfilled in a mere human king. And this fallen nation and fallen world were not meant to last forever. Israel was looking for an everlasting covenant, but it was not meant to last forever. Only one king has the answer to all of these promised fulfillments. Only one king could truly inhabit the faithful covenant of God forever. And only one king fulfills all of these promises and all of the covenant fulfillments. And so we will cover them this morning. So the title of this sermon is the second part of Forever Faithful. We're in week two. Forever Faithful, the Christ. So last week we focused on the covenant. This week we're focused on the Christ. Next week will be the complaint. So when we hear the word Christ, we immediately go to Jesus. But Christ refers to the term anointed. It means someone who is anointed by God. And so David was a Christ. Not the Christ. He was an anointed one. And so... Speaking of the Christ, this morning, all of this is going to point to the anointed one. There is one anointed one in David, but the anointed one in Christ. So this morning, we're going to cover the historic and redemptive uh, nature of this passage, looking at what it means for the king of Israel, but also what it means for the king of kings. And so um, if you have your Bible, open up to Psalm 89. We're going to read together this morning. And so one last thing. There's going to be a lot of scripture this morning uh, because it, it needs to be. We're going to see all of this fulfillment. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. Uh, there, it, it will be up on the screen as well. Yet, Lord willing, this will be a shorter message than the last couple of weeks. See how both those things come together. But for what, what we're going to do is through each of these sections, each of the major ideas, we're going to see its fulfillment in Christ. And once you see how beautiful this is, that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And so... The other thing before we read, it's important to recognize it. I'm speaking to believers this morning. If you do not know Jesus, you won't be able to understand this. But my prayer is that your heart desires to know the God of the covenant. That the Father will draw you to himself, that the Spirit will work within you. But for believers, this is a time for us to rejoice. Because what Israel longed to see, the security and the, the, the hope and the endurance that Israel longed for, we have in Christ. And I hope that this is, a, this is an encouragement to you this morning, especially when things seem uncertain. Let us know that the promises of our God are sure. So picking up in Psalm 89, I'm going to start reading in verse 18 because this introduces our section. I'm going to read through verse 37. Psalm 89, verse 18, for our shield belongs to the Lord, our king to the Holy One of Israel. Of old, you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant, and with my holy oil, I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me. You are my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. 
My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. And if his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness. I will not lie to David. His offspring will endure forever. His, his throne, as long as the sun before me, like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness to the skies. Selah. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful God. You are a God of steadfast love. You are a God who keeps his promises. And we praise you for that. Forgive us when we do not trust your promises. Forgive us when we lose sight of your faithfulness and and are consumed with our present circumstances. Lord, I pray that this morning your church would be encouraged. I know there are many at home right now who are worried and who sadly are looking more to the news than they're looking to you. Lord, I pray that they would turn off their, their TVs. That they would open the scriptures and see that your promises are true, that you care for your people. You will never leave and never forsake your people. Your king, your right ruler, your son will reign forever. And that we would be people of wisdom and discernment. That when times are uncertain, we would not be fearful. But we would not be reckless either. That we would be people of wisdom and that we would be known for our steadfast character because we stand firm on a steadfast God. Lord, we thank you that we have been invited into your covenant union through Christ. We thank you that you sent your son to fulfill what David never could, that in him we might be kingdom priests princes in the house of our father knowing that our king will rule forever and no one can stop his throne no one can undermine his power and no one can thwart his plans and it is to our king jesus christ our lord that we pray and humbly submit our prayers this morning in jesus name we pray amen all right so now we're transitioning to the part of the psalm from the people marked by their king to that king himself. And so the section in verses 19 through 21, this is the heart of our text. And so we're going to spend most of our time in these first few verses, and we're going to move quickly through the rest. Because in these first few verses, 19 through 21, uh, this is going to modify, or excuse me, everything that comes after it is going to modify this idea. Um, the prophecies coming of old and the anointing of the covenant king. But I want you to notice all of the verbs here, all of the action in this section. Verse 19, of old you spoke, psalmist speaking to God in a vision to your godly one or or ones. You said, I have granted. God is granting help to the one who is mighty. I have exalted. God is choosing. He exalts the one he chooses. I have found David. I have anointed him. 
so that my hand shall be established with him and my arm shall strengthen him. All of these verbs are God doing the action. God grants, God exalts, God finds, God anoints, nothing in of David. This is all out of God's good pleasure, his sovereign will. He does it for the sake of his glory, and David becomes the beneficiary. And so we can't get this turned upside down. The focus is not on David here. It is on the one doing the action. So let's begin in verse 19. Of old, you spoke. So the psalmist finds himself in a unique position, reminding God of what God said. As if God doesn't know what God said, but the, the psalmist is working through an argument here. He's setting all this up because next week we're going to get to the ask. This is all, God, I remember what you said. I remember your, your promises. But I want you to remember them too because right now it doesn't feel like you're honoring your, your promises. And this is a bold place to be before the Lord. But he is, the psalmist is right in all of his remindings. He says, God, you spoke through your godly one, or this could be godly ones in some of the, the, the Hebrew manuscripts. So uh, I want to look at two of those prophecies, and this is going to deal with uh, the context of this psalm and the basis for it. So first, we're going to deal with sovereign election in 1 Samuel 16. So it, it should be up on your screen. 1 Samuel 16. All right, so what's happening here is that God tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem. And when a prophet comes to your town, it's usually not a good thing. If you know the Old Testament prophets, when they come, they're going to tell you something bad. So the people are a little worried. So Samuel did what God commanded. We're in 1 Samuel 16, 4. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself, set yourselves apart and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's, the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on his height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Um, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So initially we are sensory people. This guy looks like a king. But God says, no, I look on the heart. Continuing on. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass, Shema pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen him. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went down, went to Ramah. This is a beautiful picture of God's sovereign election. Is it him? No. Is it him? No. Is it him? No. This is the one I choose, the least likely, where I get the most glory. It's the little shepherd boy who is not like his big, strong brothers. I will raise him up because I know his heart. I have given him a heart to be my king. So God speaks through Samuel at the beginning of 1 Samuel. 
But he also speaks through Nathan later when David is anointed to be king or excuse me, when the covenant promise is given to David. Now, David says, I want to build you a temple and I want to give you the glory you deserve, God, in Jerusalem. And so God makes his covenant with David. So we just saw the uh, anointing of David. Now the covenant promise of David. Second Samuel, chapter seven, starting in verse eight. Here's what Nathan, the prophet, says to David. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts. I took you, David, from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be the prince over my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all of your enemies before you. This will come up in the psalm. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones on earth. This will also come up in the psalm. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. And from that time and from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that the Lord will make you a house. Uh, Speaking of houses, family, descendants, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. It's easy for us to read this in the plural. This is in the singular in Second Samuel and in our psalm. I will raise up your offspring, one of them after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. One king. He shall build a house for my name. Now, remember, Solomon did build a house. So this was partially fulfilled in Solomon. But you remember If you've read your Bible, you've gone all the way to the end. At the end of Revelation, there will be a house, there will be a temple that will last forever. And that temple is the same king, Jesus himself. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. His his kingdom, his temple will be forever in the new heavens and new earth. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. So we're going to see what's applied to David is also applied to Christ. And we're going to get into the disciplining as well in this song. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, who I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So this is the context of old. You spoke both through Samuel and through Nathan, through through the prophets. To uh, David, I have granted help to one who is mighty and exalted one who is chosen from among the people. And the first thing we need to see here is that God exalts who he chooses. And in our flesh, we don't like this. We want everyone to get a trophy. We want everyone to be the same in the eyes of the Lord. But that has never been the case. He chose Abraham. He chose Moses. He chose David. And in the same way, we have been chosen before the foundation of the earth. This continues. God is always the initiator and the accomplisher. Look at Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. We see God who has not changed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. God chose David. God chose each one of his sons and he looked on their heart and loved them and set his favor on them. He exalts who he chooses. And he goes into detail. I found David. Now, God sought out David. He sought out a man after his own heart because Saul was unfaithful. We learned that earlier on in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. 
First Samuel 13, 14 says this, but now your kingdom shall not continue speaking to Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. The Lord sought out David because of Saul's unfaithfulness. And in the same way, the Lord had to send his faithful king because the representative of his people before that Adam was not faithful. A new Adam had to come, a man after his own heart, so that God's people could continue. And so Christ came to fulfill what could not be kept by Adam, by Saul, or even by David. A man after his own heart. And then we get into this royal ceremony here. I have found David my servant. And with my holy oil, I have anointed him. So anointing was, it's a symbolic gesture, a divine appointment for a special service, a special commissioning. Pulling someone aside, putting oil on their head, saying you are appointed. Only an approved prophet of God could anoint someone. And so there's this, this anointing process was a big deal. When, when a king would come in or a special uh, task was given, there was an anointing that goes on. But we also see that this is prophesied about Jesus in Isaiah 61. Jesus' first sermon, his first time preaching in the synagogue, the first thing he says is quoting from Isaiah 61 about his anointing. Luke 4, Luke 4, verses 16 through 18. And he came to Nazareth. This is immediately after coming out of the wilderness, immediately after being tempted. The first thing he does is he goes and preaches. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he picks this from the scroll of Isaiah and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover uh, recovery of the sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The anointing that was on David was even greater on, on Christ, but still this divine appointment to his temporary king and to his eternal king. So that, verse 21, here's the purpose of this, what it signifies. The anointing is so that my hand may be established on him. I am setting my favor on him forever and my arm also shall strengthen him. This word established means to make firm, to be, to be formed, to be rooted, to be concreted so that my hand will be established. My hand will be firm upon him. And I love how David responds to this. Psalm 21 is David's response to God's covenant with him. Psalm 21 verses 1 through 7. And as David responds to God covenanting with him in Christ, this is how we should respond to a God who covenants with us. A God who finds us. A God who seals us with his spirit. A God who says, I will place my steadfast love on you forever. Oh, Lord, Psalm 21, 1, in your strength, the king rejoices. And in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and you have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. 
For the king trusts in the Lord and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Everything that applies to David in his temporary kingdom applies to us eternally. We will, we, we will be given a crown of glory. We will not be moved. We will rejoice because the glory that God has given us through his son that Jesus prayed for us to have in his high priestly prayer. And the response of David should be ours. And we see all of these themes come together. The promises to David fulfilled in Christ establishes us in him. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22. I told you there'd be a lot of scripture, but each one of these helps us bring this together. And this is what we call biblical theology, how all of the Bible brings together the promises of God in Christ. We see all of redemptive history coming together. And I love how these three little verses tie together everything we're looking at this morning. Second Corinthians one, starting in verse 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, meaning Christ. These covenant promises to David find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen. Let it be to God for his glory through Christ. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. The establishment of the king of, of Israel. Through God's covenant, now through Christ, he establishes us in Christ. The same establishment that was to the king, you will be established forever. Now we are established, now we are firm in Christ. What a beautiful fulfillment. And he has anointed us. He has given us a divine appointment to be his ambassadors, to be his people, to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is the beautiful connection between the old and new covenants. Where the new covenant, all the promises find their yes in Christ. We are strengthened in him. We are anointed in him. We are united with him. And by the Holy Spirit being the seal of of confirmation that you will forever be with your God. This is the basis of the rest of the psalm. This is the beauty. David got a glimpse of this and he praised the Lord for it. How much more should we praise him in the fullness? that We have all of this in Christ. In church, beloved, my brothers and sisters, I want you to be encouraged in this. This is not a message for the world. The world has no hope in this. But for you, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, stand firm. He has established you. He has sealed you with his spirit. No one, no thing, no virus, nothing can take that from you. You are his forevermore. That is meant to be an encouragement. And how do we know that this is true? Because all of the promises find their yes in Christ. So the rest of it, amen. And so the rest of this is going to unfold what that means. Verse 22, the enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble them. Victory and might are for the Lord's anointed. I want to bring us back to Luke 1, our reading earlier, the prophecy of Zechariah. Picking up in verse 67, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. Next verse. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Sound familiar? 
Last week, our horns will be exalted as the people of God, raised up a servant out of the house of David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Sound familiar? So we started in verse 19, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, not just Israel's enemies, but all of our enemies, all who hate us. We, our salvation is secure in the Lord to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. It's what we're doing this morning. We're remembering God's covenant with David, the oath that he swore to our father, Abraham, and that these two covenants work together. Remember, we looked at this last week. Abraham, the father of many, promised a land and a people. And in that people, the covenant with David, there'd be a king. And if I'm going too fast, listen to this again later. There we end in verse 73. Next, next verse. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. This is the beautiful covenant fulfillment in Christ. That the, the enemies hold no more sway over the people of Israel, but so much more in Christ. Never. Our greatest enemies, sin and death, he conquered. They have no more victory. They have no more sting. There is nothing they can do. No condemnation can be brought against his chosen, against his ones. And in Christ, we are secure. These promises that, that were a comfort to the people of Israel, that they cry out to God for, are so much more for us. In Christ, He continues with a reiteration of what we looked at last week in verse 24. All throughout this, the, the, we're going to get glimpses in David, but fullness in Christ. Verse 24 is a reminder of what we looked at last week. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. The horn, the head, the power. My steadfast love, my faithfulness will exalt this king. Because I am the king maker and I set my love on David. The covenant blessings to the king. Now we go into his dominion. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. And so uh, we don't really understand Israel, um, Israeli or ancient Near Eastern geography. Because so much of their lives were determined by water. You needed water to... to um, to grow and uh, to plant crops and all that. And so their entire livelihood was based around rivers and lakes. And if you look at the land of Canaan, the, the, the promised land, the land of Jerusalem, it's surrounded by water. I mean, you've got the Mediterranean on the west and you've got the Red Sea in the south. You've got the, the Euphrates to the north, the, the, the Jordan to the east. This land is defined by water. And so basically saying my king will stretch from sea to sea, from river to river. All of this promised land will be his. He will control. it. But there's also an undercurrent here. Whenever we see water imagery in the Bible, whether it's it's rough seas or rushing waters, it speaks of chaos. It speaks of trouble. Seas are where the big monsters come from. The the, the Rahab from last week, the the rushing rivers are where, where people drowned. And so there's also an allusion to God's power that he puts on his king. Yes, he's going to have a great span of his kingdom, but his power will, will be over chaos and will be over trouble. And we'll see that perfected in Jesus who calms the seas. And we'll see that there'll be no more raging waters in the new heavens and new earth when this promised land will be inhabited by his people from all generations. So we've got his, his dominion. And now in verse 26 and 27, we've got his association. And this is beautiful. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. So first we're going to look at the association in David. 
And then the association in Christ. First thing, he shall cry to me. There's a communication relationship here. The king can, can speak and God will respond. There's a nature of prayer that goes on here. I would love what, what, what Charles Spurgeon says. God had one son without sin, but he has never had a son without prayer. It's really important. There was only one who never sinned, but there has never been a son who did not pray. And a mark of the son of God is someone who can call out to his father and pray. That's where he begins. He shall cry to me. You are my father. And the nature of father to son is one who cares for and loves and protects. And he loved David and he protected him and he prospered his kingdom. But we see this perfected in the Trinity. That beautiful relationship of father to son is why God reveals himself to us in that way so we understand the love of a father toward a son that we get as a glimpse in the life of David. And he cries out to him, you are my father, you are my God. He is covenanted to Yahweh. He submits to him, my God, I come before you, just as Christ when he took on flesh. Even though he had equality with God, humbled himself and submitted to the will of the Father and lived as a son on earth to the Father in heaven. He is also the rock of my salvation. David looked to the rock, looked to the unshakable power of God. Jesus is God. He is the rock of salvation. When David looked to God, he was also looking to Jesus, the future king, who is the rock as well. And so this association gets even more intimate and even more personal in verse 27. I will make him the firstborn. This equals the highest of the kings of the earth. There's a right and a privilege here. God often calls Israel his son or sons. But with David, it was unique. With David, he was called the firstborn. There's a preeminence here. And we know this to be fulfilled in Christ because we saw it in Colossians. And every chance I get, I want to read Colossians 1, 15 through 20. We're going to read that because it is such an honor. And we don't get this in our culture, but to be the firstborn, to take the lion's share of the inheritance, to carry on the father's name, to carry on the father's business. This was the greatest honor in that culture. And the ultimate firstborn, the ultimate preeminence went to one who would come later from the line of David. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Not just among the kings, but of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or things were created through him. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Not only was he the firstborn of all creation, but firstborn of all resurrection. That through his resurrection, those who are united to him would be, would be resurrected to new life. That in everything, all things, he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The gospel shows the true firstborn son, filling all the promises of God, bringing in new people through, or excuse me, a new creation, new humanity through his resurrected kingdom. And the last thing we're going to see here, I'll make him the firstborn, the highest of all the kings of the earth. He's above all other nations. All other houses. 
God's favor is not the same for all. Now, this is tough for a lot of people to get. Why doesn't God show the same favor to this person or to this person? Why didn't he save the Philistines or the Egyptians or the Hittites? One, because he's God, he can do what he wants. Two, he is a God who shows his favor and he sets people apart so that his glory may be shown above all other nations and above all other peoples. And this was to be shown through David and the king of Israel, which will one day be shown in his elect from every tongue, tribe and nation throughout all time. So now we get another reiteration in verse 28. My steadfast love. I will keep with him forever, reminding us of what he the psalmist looked at last week and my covenant will stand firm for him. And he goes on, I will establish his offspring forever and his throne for the day of uh, as the days of the heavens. Offspring. Again, this is similar. Excuse me. Singular. This is not offspring. Many. This is one. Look at Luke chapter one, 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. God's promise to Mary and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, this one offspring. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in all and of all his kingdom. There will be no end. This promise, my steadfast love, I will keep for him forever and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne is the days of heaven. This this promise to Mary, this promise to David is fulfilled perfectly in Christ. And it's important that we look at the nature of this throne. We get both quantity and quality here. Quality, the nature of heaven, so much higher, so much more glorious, but also quantity, the days of heaven before time, outside of time forever. We get this this beautiful picture of the quality and chronology of of heaven. And that is his throne. And even Israel had to say, well, Israel's good, but it's not that good. There must be something better. There must be a promise. There must be one to come because Israel has never had it like that. And so now we get a a shift. The psalmist is reminding God of his promises. And and, um, he's recognizing that Israel's been disobedient. This is a psalm that's not written in good times. Verse 30. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false, excuse me, be false to my faithfulness. A couple of things I want to bring up here just quickly that we should see. Uh, the discipline is still in terms of his covenant faithfulness. It is not apart from, it is a part of the covenant. God is forever faithful and God's covenant is tied to his faithfulness, not the children, not the ones who would come out of the line of David. Now, there may be consequences, but man's actions do not nullify the covenant of God. This is really important. You cannot change God's promises because of your actions. We saw that last week in Galatians 3, that God's covenants ratified in Christ cannot be nullified by man. I want us to look at that real quick. Galatians 3, verse 15. 
To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to David and to his offspring, again, similar, or excuse me, singular. Why I keep doing that? It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and your offspring who is Christ. In Christ, God's covenant love, God's covenant faithfulness covers all of our violations. So next thing I want you to see here, children. This is speaking to those who are in this covenant. If his children forsake my law. Look at Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 quotes Proverbs 3. The discipline of the Lord. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Being in God's covenant means that you are his son. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when he reproved, when you, when reproved by him. In Christ you are son. And discipline is actually a good thing. Sons, daughters, it's a good thing. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. You know the Lord loves you because he disciplines you. And chastises every son. Doesn't mean that you keep doing stupid things. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have, you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we've respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So discipline is a good thing. It happens to those who are in the covenant. And if you are in Christ, God disciplines you because he wants you to grow just as your fathers have done to you because they want you to mature. But there's an important thing here in the discipline itself. I will punish their transgressions with rod and their iniquities with stripes. This is not a sword. A sword is death. Rod and stripes are punishment that hurt, but you will live. That's the importance of the nature of the, the covenant. And our man of sorrows, he took the rod. He took the stripes for us. And in the promises that if your sons are, are disobedient, I will punish him. He became the representative. He, the son of man, took the stripes and the beatings for us. He took on the wrath of God for us. So that in verse 33, I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness because of the covenant representative, because of the king, the faithfulness of God's covenant rests on us. And thankfully, by God's grace, when David errs sin, it didn't affect God's covenant promises. And in our sin, when we sin, it doesn't affect the promises in Christ because he took our punishment as he is our representative and we have solid standing in God in him. Our final section here, the enduring nature of the covenant. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went from went forth from my lips in verse 34. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness. There is no higher standard. 
There is nothing greater, more, no more reliable source than the holiness of God. I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. Our final passage that we'll look at here is in 2 Timothy 2. His offspring, this one offspring, will endure forever. This forever endurance as his throne as long as the sun before him like the moon. You know how long God's promises are? As long as the sun and the moon. As long as there is a natural order, as, as long as things are, they are, I will not move. My covenant will not be undone, just like my, my natural order will not. But I love the, the, uh, the revealing of this in 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 8. Remember Christ Jesus, ridden for, risen from the dead. He's going to bring all these themes together. The offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Paul encouraging uh, Timothy to keep preaching. For which I am suffering. Bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. If you think I had too many scripture references today, it's because I didn't have much of my own strength. So I'm going to let God's word proclaim this. God's word tie all this together because God's word is not bound. And I want you to be sure in Old and New Testament that we can stand firmly in the promises of God fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. God's sovereign election that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him, this eternal endurance that we will reign with him forever. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And that is a challenge for us. The day when the world wants to make Christians the butt of jokes, or it will cost you something to miss out on a beach day on, on, on Sunday morning or miss out on that, on that sports league. Will you deny him to, to come together with the world? But if we are faithless, which we are, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is an important notice, that in the new covenant, the seal of the Holy Spirit, the only way we can be faithful it's because the Spirit works in us to cry out to God, our Father, with words that we cannot utter. And this is a beautiful connection of eternal endurance. So this psalm ends on a beautiful note. Like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness to the skies. Salah. I rest my case. The psalmist is done. God, this is the beauty and the, and the amazing nature of your covenant that you gave to David. But as we're going to see next week, it doesn't feel that way. It brings the basis for his complaint and his petition next week. God, I'm reminding you of what you said as if you don't know. And so just a couple concluding thoughts here. Israel only sees the immediacy in the Davidic line. They, they only see that this, this, this promise doesn't seem to be fulfilled because the house of David is crumbling. But we, as believers, we've eyes been opened by Jesus and, and sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have the benefit of redemptive clarity. We can look back and see how all of these things point to Christ. And I don't want you to lose sight of that. Because everything they looked for in a king, everything they looked for in a Christ, we have in the king of kings and the Christ. He is who we stand on. Everything is ours in Christ, the anointed one. He is consecrated to reign forever. All of the dominion, all of the association, all of the, the prophecies, the discipline. He took all that on, fulfilled it all for us to fulfill the covenant. 
And this new covenant is beautiful. This is why the gospel is beautiful. This is a great reminder for us. And for you, if you if none of this makes any sense, if I sound like Charlie Brown's teacher right now, cry out to God that he would open your eyes and your ears, that you would hear this, that he would draw you to himself, that the blood of Christ, the stripes and the beatings would, 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 would cover you. You would not be under the wrath of God, that you would be in this covenant with him that will go on forever, that you will reign with him, that you will be marked by his righteousness and his faithfulness. Now, normally on a Sunday morning, on our first Sunday, one of the things we will miss so much is, other than seeing your smiling faces, is getting to partake of communion together. And unfortunately, the, 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 the nature of this is that we can't do it. There are many concerns and uh, questions out there. But one of the, the, the many things that we're missing out on in this time is the beautiful, visible reminder of the body and blood of Christ. But we are not lacking anything because we lack elements. We have those things in Christ Jesus. We partake of them because they are ours in him. And that is what we stand on, that the blood of Christ is applied to us. The body of Christ was given for us. And that is why he came. And that is why he lived, he died, he rose again. That he may reign forever and that we may reign forever with him. Let's pray and praise our God. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. You're good and gracious and holy, mighty and awesome and wonderful. Your God over all creation. God who could have picked any nation, picked any people, but you picked Israel. Could have picked anyone, but you picked David. Could have sent anyone, but you sent your son. Could have picked anyone, but you picked us. God, we thank you for setting your love on us before the foundation of the earth. Thank you for making us your people and setting us apart. Thank you for your covenant faithfulness when we are faithless. We praise you, God, for being a faithful God. We are going to respond in song by our Savior who took on the rod and the stripes, the man of suffering, the man of sorrows, who is a king who has every right to reign, yet lived as a servant and was beaten, mocked, and despised so that we might become sons that we might be adopted into his family. Let us praise him for what he has done for us. In his name we pray, amen.